0: And so it's just thinking, have you ever had someone ungrateful? It's like the cold, bitter winter wind. And nothing's as cold as man's ingratitude. And this is Shakespeare made this statement, I hate ingratitude more in a man than lying, vainness, pride, babbling, and drunkenness, or any taint of vice whose strong corruption inhabits our frail blood. He said that in The Twelfth Night. And then again, he had ingratitude is monstrous. And for the multitude to be ingrateful will make a monster out of the multitude. Well, he just is really, he's hammering ingratefulness. Or ungratefulness, ingratitude, the ingrates. Okay, ingratitude. He said it's stone-cold fiend, more monstrous than a child, but worse than if he were a sea monster, sharper than a serpent's tooth is an ungrateful child. Wow. So let's talk about that for a minute. There's different groups of people, there's different sects of people that are completely ungrateful. Now let's fill in the gap. If I said who is ungrateful, who are we gonna say? <laughs> who are we gonna say? What? Are we gonna name Yeah, everybody's scared to say this is you know that boy Satan. <laughs> She was really, she really was safe there, yeah. <laughs> you know, Micah's been a cross for a long time, and she just, she just proved it there. I want that. Yeah, I mean, that was just preached really well there, you know, so. I've asked a question, and she answered me really well, so. Anyway, <laughs> you can name some people, okay. Would you like to? <laughs> Certain yeah. political movements, yes. <laughs> Did you know they say that a baby is ungrateful? Yeah. Oh. Oh, I is ages, ages, so. so what were you we writing? to you know, in Oakland <laughs> and. And all the people, you know, yes, a lot of that. I, sometimes the football players that are not standing... You know, if you got football players, you know the veterans would say they're pretty ungrateful to what we've done for this country, to not even have enough courage to stand up, you know. So anyway, I want you to think, basically what it says is, if a baby is the most ungrateful specimen on this earth, then a person who is ungrateful is a baby. They're immature. yeah. And so that's an interesting correlation here because I want you to think about a baby. You can take a little baby and you can hold it for hours. You can feed it, cradle it, change its diapers, give it the best food. And take the baby and the baby never says the words, thank you. (laughs) You won't hear a baby ever say thank you. His first word is "mine." (laughs) <laughs> it's never thank you if you get a thank you baby give it to me we'll, we'll raise it real carefully you know so but the first words I don't know what it is about human nature mine you know and you, you never get that thank you and so you put a baby down and what will a baby do he will just cry harder yes and no one thinks anything because he's a baby so we're just like well it's a baby you know what do we think about that or he's in our you know little curriculum he's a sheep you know, he, he, just, he, he just needs us clapping for his little, little pills that he, you know, puts out. So anyway, the baby is the most ungrateful person on the face of the earth. It sounds like my cat flea bag. Yes. I mean, I I Cats versus dog arguments, yes. <laughs> and so because the baby's the most ungrateful, guess what? We have to teach our children to be grateful and thankful. Yeah. Children do not come out being grateful. If your parents did not teach you to be grateful, I bet you're not going to be grateful. You're going to be so hard to be married to. You're going to be so hard for me to have to deal with If you did not get taught because children do not come out being grateful, so that it has to be something that you are on purpose teaching your children. Because it does not happen on its own. You know, there's books of virtue that I can give you and tell you, read these books, it'll make them smarter, and it'll make them have core level values inside of them. So teach your children to be thankful. It does not come naturally. It's something you have to learn. (laughs) Have you ever tried to force a child to say thank you? Mm -hmm. Say thank you, and you're stomping on his toe. Tell Grandma, thank you for the gift. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Say thank you, you know. And kids don't do it on their own. And some parents are like, well, I want it to be spontaneous. Well, they're going to be old and, and mad at their child because it will not come out until you teach the child to be thankful. I got to tell you a story. There was a grandmother who gave her grandson a piece of, of warm, hot cake. And surprisingly, the little boy, he goes, Thank you, Grandma. And so it really touched her heart. And the grandma goes, I love little boys who say thank you. And he goes, Well, then I'll say thank you to you again if you'll put ice cream on top of the cake. <laughs> You can see they're not quite converted in their little souls. I mean, they're they're thinking ahead. You know, being grateful, one thing about it, we've learned right here, it's just smart. And so the kid has got to learn it's the smarter thing to do, to be grateful. But I got so tickled. Little boys are just like that. Little girls are too, you know. So anyway, I was at Pastor Bob's church, and he was, showed the little, you know, the chocolate chips sitting there, and each kid would put it in his mouth and take it out, you know, and it was a really cute video there. So I will say thank you to you again if you do something like ice cream, Mom, that melts in the cracks. My mother is famous for all her Psalm 91 stuff, but her most famous statement is, I don't care how full you are. If you feel like you're about to burst, you're so full. And you can't eat another bite. She says you can always eat ice cream because it just melts in the cracks. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, <laughs> mom is famous for that, uh, that quote. So, anyway, you may have a big body. And you may have the mind of Einstein and the soul, the poetry of Shakespeare. But if you are not grateful, you have a stone-cold heart and you're like a monster. <laughs> And so it's true. I mean, no, no, no matter how vested you are in talents and gifts, you've got to have gratefulness. And so someone else wrote. Now I'm going to give you a few quotes here. The thief may have some streaks of honesty in him. The deadbeat spots of honor. The liar actually has hours where he loves the truth. The libertine, on occasion, has impulses to be pure. But there is nothing redemptive in the ingrate a person that is not grateful there's not even a moment they have there's no moments of anything good or valuable in someone that's not grateful so is it important to teach someone to be grateful yeah. yes and if you're spiritually a new person coming up in the Lord one of the, my duties is to tell you you've got to be grateful you've got to put on that grateful heart so listen to these blistering words above the ingrate I still like that name ingrate It's just a great word. You know, the other person's great, and the other person's the ingrate. So, trust the ungrateful soul with money, and he'll steal it. He'll come up with a reason why he can steal the money if he's ungrateful. (laughs) (laughs) Trust the ungrateful soul with honor, and he'll betray the honor. Trust the ungrateful soul with virtue, and he'll violate it. Trust the ungrateful soul with lust and with hellish alchemy. He will transmute it into lust. The alchemist, let's put this in modern language. Translated into English, it means an ungrateful person will turn love into lust just like a crazy chemist. He will mix it. He will take what's good and real love into it, and he will turn it somehow into a thing that benefits himself. It's interesting. Trust the ingrate with a good name. And he will besmirch it. Watch this, sentence: You love a nothing when you love an ingrate. So when you're doing your 36 things of who to marry, I'm telling you, it's saying if somebody does not have a grateful heart, you are loving a nothing. That is a strong concept to think. Yeah, so I mean these are strong words that are people are writing. They're saying, you know, that there's actually moments that you can have fun around someone that steals. You actually moments when somebody's a liar, you can have some sort of friendship. But if a person has an ungrateful soul, he will steal, he will lie, he will do all those things because there's nothing in him redemptive. That is how strong that ungratefulness grabs hold of the heart. This is some soul searching and some reflecting. Because have you ever gone back and thanked the person who led you to Christ? You know, or led you to a deeper wise... I still love that moment with John Dugland. I was going to say this. We're at the wedding. He grabs A.C. They're crying in each other's arms. Thinking that A.C. finding him. That moment in his life when he was going to end it all. And just God putting the path of them together. You know, we've all laughed. Boy, we'd like to have John Dugland in our downline. You know, I know. (laughs) Yeah, what he's doing, you're just like, man, I would like to have someone that's such a soul winner. And so, looking at that, have you ever thanked that person? You know, I was thinking about Gilbert and the two guys that found him, John and Zach. Have you ever thanked the person who taught you the Bible, your Sunday school teacher, the person that really made the word come alive to you? Have you ever thanked your mother and your father for loving you and giving you a good home? Have you ever thanked your husband or your wife? Do you bless your food? Or do you bless the Lord for the food? The Jews were really strong with us in Israel. And they were telling us, you know, the true blessing is to bless the Lord. And we're so centered on our food. We bless our food. We are so intent on that food being good for us that the real purpose is to bless the Lord. And not just blessing the food. I bless this food. And I hadn't realized as Gentiles we do that so much of just... We bless this food. And when is the last time you told the Lord, Thank you for something very specific in your life that you really said? Because those are very strong words about an ingrate, but within our hearts, we have places that we need to wake them up where our heart's not dead or cold, but where we really have a thankful heart. I'm going to show you gratitude can cure so many things in your life like i don't have to teach you an array of things from the bible of virtues honestly this one concept will fix so many different things in you you know parents making kids say what they're thankful for and you know have you ever gone around the table i'm thank you for this i got so tickled when there was this kid and when he said i'm thankful for and what he said i just burst out laughing and so anyway i said Boy, that was kind of lame what she said you were thankful for. And he goes, well, my sibling, they stole what I wanted to say. And, I, th- you know, I was laughing at it because what they threw on the table was hilarious. I was just like, are you really thankful for that? I mean, it- you know... And I got to thinking about it. You know, sometimes we just throw something lame out there. It makes us say, I'm thankful for the breath I breathe. Th- you know, we do that. Y'all, I'll tell you a something funny. If Valerie had offered to help me today, I would know more about this. But she she knew where it was leading the conversation, so she withdrew and just put a smiley face. So I can't give you what I'd hoped to give you right here with Valerie. But, you know, but I read this great article, and I've tried to find it ever since. Y'all, when you read something great, just email it to me, and let's put a subject line because I do this all the time, but he was talking about dust, and I hate dust, you know, we have a war on dust, so like, how do you keep all your windows shut, and you just have dust on your house, you know, what is there to do in your housework, dust, it's always dust, you know, and so you're wondering, like, how does this much dust invade us, but it actually, they did a long article on the value of dust, and what it actually does, And I thought, what an interesting article. So maybe, you know, when I go around the Thanksgiving table, I'm thankful for dust, you know. (laughs) You'd slap your little son for saying something like that. But I was thinking, you know, God has put something good within almost all aspects of His creation have the goodness of the Lord. And Satan hadn't, you know, twisted or perverted at all. Thank the Lord, you know, that the bad boy Satan, you know, hadn't done it all. But uh, anyway... So right now if I called on you very quickly and I would wonder if you had something you meant that you really would mean deep inside of you that you'd come up with quick or if it'd be just something lame, you know, or uh, something that you've really been thinking on and meditating on. Are you going deep with the Lord? Deep calls to deep. And what are you really telling the Lord, man, this year is just really epitomized by this, you know, that I really am thankful for this. Having gratitude it will really cure the curse of being selfish. It at least start curing selfishness inside of you. Gratefulness. You know, one way that you can show the Lord that you're grateful is tithing on your income. This was something I was, I was looking at. And the Lord, from gratitude for what He's done to us and given to us, why would we not want to give a loving, giving God a tenth of our income back? It's just a good place to start. And I was thinking about something about that. Don't you hate giving to someone that isn't... Um, like, have you ever given to someone and they're not grateful? Yeah. And it, it just kind of goes downhill. Like, as a parent, have you ever given to your child and they're not grateful about it? It does something funny to you. Isn't it the opposite true about giving to God because He is so grateful. He, you know, He gets so excited. I mean, I think he has so little to work with, this is my theory, that he gets excited over anything we do. You know, you throw two mites in and he's like, oh! You know, it's in the Bible, you know. He's just excited about what we do. So what a unique thing to give to a very, very loving God that's given to us all year long. So it doesn't become like a... Oh, someone's helping me preach. It doesn 't become something that you have to do when you look at it that way, that God is the epitome of what you want to give to, yeah. you know, and so it creates what I would call is a generous heart, like playing that game with god i 'm going to try to outgive you, and just going back and forth and asking the Lord what you can give, there was this lady, and this is something that touched me so much. I was hearing this man speak, and he 's a powerful evangelist in India. And out of everything he could tell us, all the stories of all the people saved, all the different things, he told about his mother. And he said that his mother, they kept trying to get her to quit giving away everything she had. <laughs> and so the family would send her money, and she would take it. And her little sorry would be torn, and, and she would take the money for the new sorry. She'd even pulled a ring off. When she died... But what she was doing was she was supporting different pastors in India. And like for 20 bucks, you can buy a bicycle sometimes in some of these countries, that it'll make a guy going from walking from village to village to actually a bike will tr- totally change the atmosphere or the, the ability. And I, you know, we've done that uh, in a couple of places in the Philippines that we just we took somebody and took them to the next level. And I was just thinking about that lady. I thought of out of everything he could talk about, he talked about his mom, who, she just had such a passion for India. And I started thinking, well, wow, I would like to see if, you know, if so, if God would give me somebody like that, just just somebody that I could, that would be really effective. And you know, it wasn't too long after that that our website threw someone to us that was going to commit suicide. And I led them to the Lord. And, you know, they have that thing behind them, like, that great downline. Like, the thousands that they've won to the Lord. But it came from asking God, give me somebody. Like, I remember praying, hearing that guy speak, of thinking, wow, what a unique thing to think these six pastors are doing their work in India because I'm slipping them money and nobody knows it. You know, that, boy, you're looking for that fruitful ground, you know, like... Y'all with the with the crossline stuff we try to do crazy stuff like Olivia has a church and a brothel. Well you just don't get that every day. I mean I was like I wanna go see a church and a brothel and I pictured just a room like this with rooms all around like a hotel. Oh my gosh, it's blocks. You know, the cartel goes up and down and up and down, and the brothel is just, like, shocking. You know, the girls, the way they're dressed, I looked at them, I'm like, are you serious? You look like you're dressed for a, a clown in a movie. It doesn't look real to me. It just, it look. and so we're taking Mom's Psalm 91s. you know. Well, what, what can we do? What can we do that's crazy? You know, it's crazy to have a church in a brothel. What can we do crazy to match it? So we were like, movie night in the brothel. So we bomb all these Christian movies, you know, and they're watching them in Spanish, you know. And it's just interesting of thinking of those creative ways. And it's just like, God, I like it. You're generous. I want to meet that back with you of of the gratefulness. Gratitude will protect you from being negative. Did anybody ever tell you you are a negative person? (laughs) Gratefulness will fix it. Gratitude will protect you from pessimism. Gratefulness, gratitude will protect you from criticism. So you don't just go over it and over it. You can handle it better if you're a grateful person. Gratitude will pull you out of frustration. And you know, I was thinking, Clary told me one of her favorite messages was Thanksgiving a few years back. You remember what it was? How a grateful heart can feel you. Yes. Probably 90% of your spiritual elements. Yes. And we did something interesting with which, you remember the one in Luke? The lepers. Yes. The one that turned back and uh, thanked Lord. What an interesting thing! Because this isn't a parable. This has really happened. Jesus heals ten lepers, and one comes back. Is that the percentage that God's getting from us of gratefulness? And you know, we did a fun thing. We studied each of the reasons why the nine might not have come back, and they sound like reasons we all use. And that was such a fun study. We went through them, and today I even got another set of nine reasons why we might not come back and be grateful. But the tenth guy came back, and he was grateful. And think of this, y'all. The words are unique. The first time, the leper got healed. The second time, the leper got whole. And so if you look up there, we have a picture of a leper somewhere, but when we go into leprosy villages... Like they're missing fingers and noses and ears and and different things. And I was thinking about the difference. That healing means the disease stops. It doesn't just keep eating on you where you die. I mean, I've been in colonies of lepers where the skin is just coming off in charred sheets. And I mean, the pus and just the crazy yuck. And when they really don't think that person's going to live, they put them on the ground. And twenty thousand lepers and their dependents—the size of Brownwood—you know—and just going through the leper colony and and seeing that and thinking about Jesus stopping the disease and letting them go back into society. But then one came and thanked him, and he made that guy whole. You know, we always wonder, was there ever a miracle? I, I was so disappointed when Peter, when he just cut off the ear, I kind of hoped he'd cut the head off, you know? Because if Jesus is going to put the ear on, it would have been so much more effective to put the head on. You know, you want those kind of miracles. Just, just, you know, it just was the ear. You know, you can kind of talk yourself out of the ear, kind of gluing back on. But the head, you know, well, this might have been one of those kind of miracles where he was made whole. But I'm going to tell you for sure with the heart that if you move into the area of gratefulness, you move from being healed to being whole. You get that thing in you that, you know, we've talked about. It's that inner healing. It makes you whole to be grateful. If you're a thankful heart, it takes you to that next level. And so I think of different Thanksgiving lessons. Now, let me see if I can say this. Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas. She says it different. Okay. (laughs) 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 Different translation. Yeah Mine is Latin, hers is Texan. Okay <laughs> Nah, she can roll those R's. Sounds like she's coughing up something. Okay, it would <laughs> it would seem that the ingratitude see if y'all can get this great sentence. It would seem that the ingratitude whereby a subsequent sin causes the return of sins previously forgiven is a special sin. Now, you didn't even get that. So now I'm going to read it in a different structure. <laughs> hey, you Aquinas, we'll go to her. Okay, get this. I like reading older written stuff. Because there's, there's treasures inside of it. This says the scribes dig from the old and the new. I like the cutting-edge teachers, and I like the oldest. I like combining concepts. So see if this makes sense. It would seem that the ingratitude is a special sin. I didn't pull the sentence apart like you did. It seems like ingratitude is a special sin whereby it causes a subsequent sin, the return of sins that have been previously forgiven. In other words, if you have a sin and God forgives you and you have ingratitude about it, it causes the return of sins to come back on your life. You know, we can think of that, and you remember the guy that was forgiven a million dollar debt? And he increased in sin by the end of the parable. You know, he was turning over the tortures and stuff. And you think of the ten lepers, and it's the same case here, is that you have something wonderful happen to you, but it causes a return of the sin. So, it's a special sin. For the giving of thanks belongs to the opposite passion. Therefore, this ingratitude is a special sin. Thanksgiving is a special virtue. But ingratitude is opposed to thanksgiving. Therefore, ingratitude is a special sin because it causes the return of sin into our life. It's such a unique statement here. Okay, so I want to say something about the blessing of manna. Let's talk about manna for a minute. How about if we don't call it the blessing of manna? How about if we call it the test of manna? let's look at manna for a second let's say that you eat the same same John taught me those words Cambodia same same same, same food every day on a camp out how about if somebody took you on a three week camp out and every day you ate the same same can of beans this is a 40 year camp out and what made them start thinking about was the variety of food that they had had while they were in the world they were in slavery You know, we ate big old pots of meat. You know, we had bread. We remember the fish we used to eat. It was free. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Oh, we got manna. Okay, so let's talk about this for a minute because I was thinking about it. Mama, what are we eating for breakfast? Mama, what are we eating for lunch? Mama, what are we eating for snacks? Mama, what are we eating for dinner? (laughs) manna in the morning manna in the evening manna at supper time I mean it's manna was it the manna that kept them in the wilderness for 40 years when it was 11 day walk is there something that's holding us where we're at I mean I was thinking through the manna concept that it's interesting here the promised land was put on hold Lack of thankfulness puts us on hold. I have had to be content with something and thank the Lord for it, for the Lord to change my circumstances and move me out of it. You know, I've told you all that story of, you know, I was in my grandma's house, and, you know, at that time it was borrowed. And I, bless, if I've ever gotten into lust, I got bad into lust during this time. I lusted for every antique home in Brownwood. (laughs) And I drove my father crazy. I mean, there is not a home that's gorgeous that I have not looked through. And my dad, I mean, for one year, and finally I realized something's not right in my heart. I realized I have entered into something that's not right. And so something happened odd to me. I got down on the floor, and I started looking at the house, and I thought, these are gorgeous floors in this home. I love this kind of flooring. And I just, I just got down on my knees, and I started thanking the Lord for the floors of my grandmother's house. And then I told God a little secret. I said, you know what? I think I like this home better than any home because if company comes over, I can get it cleaned quicker than any house. Because it's small, so I can just quickly get it cleaned. And I thanked him for that house with all my heart and decided I'm going to live there. That all that other stuff was the devil. The bad boy, and I was lusting, and I had to get out of it. And I thank God, and I got very content. The next day, they called me, and told me this house was for sale. This 96-year-old lady was building another home, and we moved into the home of my dreams. Then I mean, two floors. I mean, I liked the ups and downs. Had a round door. It had a fireplace with all this gorgeous stuff. We were having Bible study in French stores. We had so many college kids come to the Lord in that house. Like, we have never had the number of students that we had in there. Like, it was so many kids. We had to take the pulpit out because this would get another three kids in the room. I mean, they were putting them into the kitchen. I mean, it was unbelievable outpourings of the Lord. And I was thinking, if I had never done that, I probably wouldn't end up where I am now. And now I laugh at, oh, these are gorgeous floors. (laughs) Yeah, there's no words for these floors. You know, designed like you know, like I like it's like something you see in a governor's mansion. I'm like looking at these floors going these are shocking floors. And can I get it clean in time for company? No. (laughs) That concept, you know, that I thank the Lord for that, you know, I can get this house done in a hurry. But y'all, do you see that I had to become grateful and thankful and content? And the day I did it, I moved. It holds you where you are in the wilderness. That lust holds you where you don't want to be. We always think of lust as too much love. Lust is the absence of love. Lust is never too much. I don't think you can too much love. And I think sometimes we're fighting lust like this as if it's too much of something, when in reality it's the absence of it. And so gratefulness. Grateful for the manna, the miracle of manna. I want you to think about it for a minute. Being thankful for what's repetitive and what you're tired of. And that's where I'd gotten, I'd kind of got tired and bored. And sometime tonight you might need to say, God, I want to thank you for what I'm tired of. I want to thank you for what's redundant in my life. Because there's problems on abundance. (laughs) That's what's interesting. Okay, so manna kept the children of Israel from starving. That's miracle number one. Moses instructed the people to gather an omer of manna per person. So it's two quarts of manna. So you got two quarts of manna for each day. And so when some of the people tried to save extra manna, it became wormy and spooled. You got your omer. Now look at this. Manna appeared for six days in a row, but on Friday the Hebrews were together a double portion because on Shabbat they're not supposed to work. On that day it didn't spool. But you could gather too much for your day and it was full within the day. But then the miracle of manna was if you did it the way he told you to, he actually gave you a day where women didn't have to cook. You didn't have to work. He let you get double. And it was all taken care of. All you had to do is go outside and gather. And it tasted like honey. It was sweet to the taste. And when they cried out and said, we can't do this manna all the time, the Lord gave them quail. He gave them the meat and the bread. And so, yet the portion they say for the Shabbat was not spooled. So there's the miracle of the quill, the miracle of refrigeration, or how it doesn't spool or does spool. And then, I want you to think of this. I, I'd never thought of this one before. Manna. It holds that manna was layered out over 2,000 square cubits. Think when he dropped enough manna for all the children of Israel. 2,000 square cubits between 50 and 60 cubits in height (laughs) was enough to nourish the Israelites for 2,000 years. It's an odd concept to think it must have looked like it snowed. That's a lot of men on the ground. So I would never thought of it in terms of what it looked like when it dropped. And you kind of want the ones on top. (laughs) (laughs) so the miracle of it God told Moses to save a jar of manna so that future generations could see how the Lord provided for the people in the desert look how God looked at it I'm taking care of you and Aaron filled a jar with an omer of manna and put it in the ark of the covenant in front of the table of, of the ten commandments so it didn't spoil in the jar Put in the ark next to the Ten Commandments. It's like you can save little treasures of your thankfulness, your gratefulness, your miracles. God wanted a jar saved of the manna. And in Exodus, it says the Jews ate the manna every day for 40 years. Think of this. They ate it to the end of their life. If they were older when they came out of Egypt, they had manna till the day they died. (laughs) And then I thought about some people were born into manna. They'd never seen any other kind of food. They just had manna every day. Those were the 20-year-olds that got to go into it. And miraculously, when Joshua and the people came to the border of Cana and they ate the food of the promised land, the manna stopped that very next day and was never seen again. So the miracle of the manna... And so it's shocking to think that some people had manna all their life and some people saw it all their... It's, it's interesting what the test of manna means to your life. The repetitiveness. You know, God's patient. Until you get thankful, you can... She'll be coming around the mountain when you... You go around and around that mountain. <laughs> and I've had some. I've worn some trails and some mountains. And it's just how smart I am how, long, how deep the rut is. <laughs> And because you're you go over something, so it was a miracle. One of the rewards of the overcomer in Revelation 2 is I'll give you hidden manna. So now I'm going to ask you, we get it, we get it. What they did was wrong, we get it, don't we? You know, what they did was in their heart about the manna was wrong. But let me ask you, I want you to paint it for me right now. What is a realistic thing they could have done about the manna? Give me a realistic, what should it have looked like if they had done it right? Because we're all going to oh, hold those stupid. You know, they just seem to repetitively do the same thing. Their are' never gets right. What would it have looked like if they had done it right? What would it have looked like? Lord, for not letting You die of hunger. would <laughs> be like, oh, it might be a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, if they were content. How about if the fathers really got their childrens up and said, "We're gonna thank God for it." Yeah, I was just saying, like, thank you. The mamas are gonna say, "You're gonna, we're gonna thank," and I mean, we're gonna thank till the day if it lasts our life that we're gonna thank God for this manna. But sometimes the parents are the first to grumble. You wonder where the kids learn it. If you're venting and grumbling from your kids, your kids are. They do it twice as bad as you do it. It's what it is. What was done in moderation in parents is done in excess of children. <laughs> yes. So they er uh, 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 at the table over the manna. I, I don't like this. I remember what I ate. <laughs> and the kid's first understanding of garlics and leeks is their parent's memory. And so I'm asking myself right there, what about if they had just thanked and thanked and thanked and thanked the Lord? What other options do you have? So there's the test of the manna to me, and that's thankfulness when it's very repetitive in your life. If you're getting the same results, you need to try something different and change that heart because it does something here. You know, the second thing is being thankful to God in little. You know, we don't have so much cold houses anymore or cold rooms. Not so much. And... I was thinking about life in terms of cold rooms I've been in. You know, and I I measure, I have memories of cold rooms. One cold room that comes to my mind is we would go camping at the home place where my grandmother was born. And it was shocking to me that she was determined to take a bath. In the kind of, you know, temperatures that we were having. We have no commode. (laughs) I mean, you're talking about generations with the little moon on the, you know, the generations of that outhouse. Smells that, you know, just can't recreate. And my grandmother would go to the tank, and she would break the ice on the tank and dip her out some of that brown water, carry it to the house, and bathe. In the cold that I couldn't even make myself take one layer off. That lady was stripping down and bathing. She was quoting the verse: Cleanliness is next to godliness. Angie, she tried to teach me that verse in her Bible: Cleanliness is next to godliness. Oh, Benjamin Franklin wrote it. I had to get smarter than my grandma. She was trying to make me strip to and bathe. I'm like, I can't bathe, grandmother. She was trying to lie to me about what was in the Bible. Yeah. But at night the coldness came to a point that I just can't even imagine. We were playing cards. We were playing a certain kind of cards. And if you lost these certain kind of cards, you lost clothing. So you didn't want to lose this kind of cards. It was a family game. And if you started losing you went and stood by the wood stove in the in the kitchen because it was bad to lose you know there was called frost I'm telling you everything was frozen y'all uh, you just can't imagine cold so it that you know they had a fireplace and in the fireplace they had a room with two or three beds in it guess who got to sleep in the beds with the room in the fireplace the married people yeah, two people that have two people in bed, at least one side's warm. I mean, you turn it like a marshmallow, at least you keep something warm. No, the single kids, they put us in the back room. You know, and, and I'm telling you, the rats and the spiders and the cold creaked in there. And I remember sitting there, and my grandma come and put blankets over me. And I remember shaking to thinking... This is cold beyond cold. I was born right here. And I'm like, okay, so what my grandmother would do is she would go heat bricks and put them in the fire. And then, like the embers are burning like this, and she'd take a brick and she'd bring it to me and wrap it in a cloth and put it at my feet. And you could make it through the night, you and your brick. I mean, it was just, it was special moments. Me and, I was like, can I have several bricks, you know? And you, you, you spoon with the brick. I mean, it was just a, it was warm. So all of us frozen cousins in that back room. I had to tell you my experience of a cold room because I want you to understand what cold is in January. It's a cold room. It's cold room. But there's this story of a poor widow and not having sufficient blankets to shelter her young son from the snow that used to blow through the cracks in her hut. Now, that's the same way. I mean, sometimes these old homes, I mean, the wind came through the cracks. Sometimes, my dad pointed out, you can get cold because of the keyhole. Yeah. I mean, air can come through that keyhole. I can imagine the coldness of some of these places. Yeah. Yeah, duct tape. So anyway, it used to blow through the cracks in her hut. And she would cover her young kid with boards. She had insufficient blankets to keep him warm. And so she put boards over him. Now, as a mom, that's, that's hard. Yeah, this widow. And one night the boy asked, Mom, Ma, What do the poor folks do on such cold nights who have no boards to put on their children? And I thought that perspective of, what do the poor people do who have no boards to put on their children? And I was thinking here that being thankful and little, because that kid saw himself better than the poor. You know, we went down to an orphanage And these people were so wise. I never forgot this in Mexico. Because if you're not careful, you'll teach orphans to be little beggars. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Make up to me for, you know, no parents. Give me, give me, give me. So they have that mentality of the world owes me something because I lost out on this. And they took the orphans out and they had the orphans give money to the street children. So that the orphans didn't have the mentality that everything came to them, they found someone that needed it worse. The orphans had a home. That's good. The street children lived on the street. So they gave to the street children. And I thought that's the same principle here If he was like, what do kids have that have no mommies that put boards on you at night? And I was thinking about that because gratitude will cure 90% of spiritual illness. It will cure 90% of spiritual disease. In fact, if you get gratitude, I don't even have to preach on offenses or strife or manipulate, all those things, but gratitude will cure it. Yeah. It's so shocking that you can have one thing you could add to your spiritual development this year of just being deeply thankful. Amen. Deep, calling to deep in this area. And it would cure so much that we would only be dealing with just that minor 10% inside of you. The little kid. You know, if you're struggling with your prayer life, this is your starting block. Let me give you your verse. In Psalm 100, verse 4, is your thing, it's your starting block, is thankfulness. It says, just start giving Him lots and lots of things you're thankful for. Because we enter His gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise. So thanksgiving is where you start. And if you're having a hard time, if you'll start your thanking, just start pouring your heart out thanking Him, thanking Him, thanking Him, you're going in the gate, and you'll get into praise, and you'll hit worship. It'll take you right through there. You'll get into that thankfulness, because you'll get excited. The thankfulness is your starting. So I'm going to say right here that gratefulness and the repetitiveness, gratefulness and the little, and thankfulness will remove roadblocks that you're facing. It'll take care of the repetitiveness, the little, and the roadblocks. Those things that are just not yielding. And so when I looked at that, I was thinking, wow, what an interesting verse. That Thanksgiving is the place to start. That you actually start thanking God. They said the hardest arithmetic. Who was really bad at math growing up? Mm. Still mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they said the worst and the hardest arithmetic is to master counting your blessings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other day, I was getting some uh, worship music and I put on there, Bean Crosby, counting your blessings. Now, yeah, I don't know if y'all watch it at Christmas snow, snow, snow. And he says, You know, when I can't sleep, I count my blessings. Until I, you know, and I just like old Bing Crosby cooing to me besides White Christmas, but counting those blessings. Y'all just start naming them and you'll fall asleep if you struggle with insomnia. If you start counting your blessings down there, enter his gates with Thanksgiving and go on in. There's deeper places to go. But Thanksgiving busts down the walls. The first Thanksgiving, you know, Thanksgiving is like a modern manna test. I want you to hear how I relate this. I never thought about that before, but Thanksgiving is our modern manna test. Uh, Can you imagine if we had a Thanksgiving dinner together and all we had was manna? And you come in and there's this white substance, bowl after bowl, and you'd be going, what is this? (laughs) Exactly. What is this? You mean this is what Gilbert did for us? Are you serious? You can't trust Gilbert. Look what he did. Just <laughs> roll out the bowl. You, you
1: know, know, manna.
0: What is this? Wass- I don't even know what the <laughs> stuff is. What did he do? It's rice t- you know, yes, what is this? Couscous? I mean, what did he give us? It's hard. hard. Oh, you tofu in front. Of yeah, just mail to manna. I mean, we would want to kill the ingrate Gilbert. Did you take <laughs> our budget and did you do this to us, Gilbert? Just pause a manna. I'm looking at Thanksgiving as the Thanksgiving because there's the greats and the ingrates all year long. Taking time to give God thankfulness. I think there's some people that have a Thanksgiving and they don't ever thank God. Even Christians. That they don't ever thank God. You know, I was thinking about the world. Think about the world because they're even trying to steal our holiday from us. But you sit there and the secularist those that don't think there's a God or they do think that there's a God but I just don't want anything to do with Him. You've got that. Think about the secularist person sitting at the Thanksgiving table. And Thanksgiving for them goes kind of like this. They feel like it's good to be thankful but they have no one to be thankful to. So they just sit there and they try to work up a feeling of thankfulness but they have no object to be thankful to. It's very impersonal. At best, they're just being thankful to themselves or just the world or just the thin air. But y'all, we have a person because the Lord says to you, if Gilbert had fixed us nothing but piles of manna, piled up and piled up and piled up, Jesus stood up and He said, I am that manna. And when you reject the manna, you are rejecting me for For I am that bread he said you think God he said in that scripture it's real interesting it's in John 6 I think it's 31 through 35 he said you thought Moses gave you the manna but it was God who gave you the manna and I don't know that after all these thousands of years of studying verses and having the Holy Spirit work on us and our heart becoming so full of the vibrance of God if we would pass the manna test Because I don't think we passed the Thanksgiving test. I don't think we get it. Where the secularist there is trying to be thankful, just let's feel thankful right now. Mm, I'm feeling, I got my yoga pants on, I'm feeling (laughs) some thankfulness right now. You know, I'm just feeling, I I just want to be thankful. But they have no object of their desire. They have nobody to pour it out on. They don't have... Anything, per- gosh, life is empty if there's no one beyond ourselves. The beauty of heaven is it's not just one up there, but it's three. I mean, it's so interesting the family, the, the connection that we have for it. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, this holiday is to celebrate that the first people were thankful people. And we are fighting to keep America thankful. You know, today when the SRN news is saying, as I'm driving over here, oh, we're going to switch Good Friday to be spring because we're inclusive to everyone, spring holiday, and we're making this one be fall holiday. They, today a mayor did it, Mayor Hamilton. And there's an outcry because we are holding the ground that this country started on thankfulness. Not thankfulness because we breathe the air, but thankfulness that there's a God who, who leads and guides our life, gives us new countries, who had a hilarious Thanksgiving dinner. Y'all, we didn't even do Thanksgiving right. It's a three-day feast. Did you know it lasted three days? And you invite the heathen. <laughs> you don't patronize the diversity. You say, look, there's something called thankfulness. And you can enter into that with us. If you want to be an American, then be an American. For we are thankful. We are like pilgrims. We are thankful to our God. If you don't want a God, go somewhere else. (laughs) Yes. And so then the country makes it a federal holiday for our nation to be thankful. George Washington and then Lincoln, they make... Thanksgiving, a permanent part, so that we are thankful. And now it comes down to you. From 1621 to we're sitting here. So we take some time to thank the good Lord. Away from the food and the cooking. Away from the football and the Facebook. <laughs> Away from the friends and the family, the TV and the YouTube. And we stop. And we go for a walk by ourselves just with Him. And we tell him about all the thankfulness you are storing up in your heart. All the goodness of the Lord. And you take that time just you and him. Because one person can change the whole world. God plus you can do anything. So take that time. Y'all, I don't want to get so caught up in getting the gospel. Into the other parts of the world that I don't have that time with him. So as we're looking over at the secular list and we're looking through all this stuff, I'm asking you, what does Thanksgiving look like to you? What did you do last year? Because you're probably going to do it this year if we don't stop and say, I'm asking you, let's have a different Thanksgiving. We have a lot to be thankful for. The election was shocking that God has bought us some time in this country to openly say Jesus Christ is our Lord To openly say that we have one God, we're Judeo-Christians. Forget our issues. I am saying there is a God in heaven, and I'm going to say like Garth Brooks, thank God for unanswered prayers. We're not getting how strategic and how important it is. As head of the nation, you're electing someone that will fight and fight and fight and fight like a crazy person. Elect the biggest fighter you know because he's got to buy me time to do what I'm called to do I can have the mission field come right to my back door it is much more difficult and so I'm saying we've got someone to fight and to fight and fight and at this point we are very thankful very thankful very thankful as what we said in here as a college group I love that night of praying together and speaking, speaking our faith and speaking towards what's happening in this country that literally that I don't have to be ashamed to say it's Thanksgiving. It's a good time that we put these things behind us and we say grow up, only babies are not grateful. (laughs) Only babies are not, yes. They're still sitting there needing that. I have so much to be thankful for, y'all. I cannot, that's public stuff. I have private stuff. I am so thankful for. Am I happy? I am so happy. I am thankful. Let me tell you something. Kathy McDaniel came up with this idea. And don't just listen to the radio and go, oh, that's a great idea. But she actually has you, every time something wonderful happens to you, to write it down. And you put them all in this jar. And you know what, guys? Some of your names are in that jar. Because I'm like, I am so f- thankful this person came into my life this year. I am so thankful for what they did to them. I may not be telling you, but I'm telling God, I am thankful for you. I am so happy. And I put your name in that jar. I put, you know, even my days are shocking. Like, how things work out just perfectly, just perfectly perfectly just at the right moment i'm like i'm like god you're hilarious i need to flow in the spirit because it really works when i do and doesn't work when i don't and so i'm writing these things on notes and i fold them up and then around the thanksgiving table you're like oh i was shocked today i thought well i had done a very good job of doing this because i only started like in september <laughs> you it's this deep And thankfulness. And I'm mad at myself of some of them that I remember God did that were great that I forgot. Because I was out on a trip somewhere and I was like, thank goodness Carl was home the day I needed that. Someone to be held in a holding pattern. (laughs) Thankful for that life. That God might give us a challenge. That that life will make a difference. Thankful that I pray over that baseball cap she left in here. Thankful that good things are happening. Thankful, that, oh, y'all, I'm so thankful. I love Kathy's ideal. So, when it comes time for you to go around the table and tell what you're thankful for, don't be in a hurry because you're hungry. Don't do it because it's time and you're going to give something lame. But pause. Not to be in a hurry to get past the prayer. Just, oh, who, let's let whoever prays the fast pray. <laughs> the quickest prayer but realize this holiday is for the Lord and Kathy's ideal and I'm going to say like the man of people before I pick on those children of Israel who had no first hand revelation of the Lord like we do I'm going to say what if we were thanking and thanking and thanking and thanking and just we literally let our thankfulness just come loose and split out of us. My gosh, Lord, thank you for this manna. Thank you for new recipes. Thank you for Pinterest that has manna recipes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, for what you've done. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I don't have to cook. Thank you for bringing me food. Thank you for all these crazy things you do for me. Thank you for making me remember things when it would wreck the world if I'd forgotten that one. You know, there's things that I barely remember and I'm just thanking the Lord. Whew. It would have caused three lives to fall off the train. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, I almost forgot this doozy. Lord, thank you, thank you. Thank you for good strength above me, good leadership. Thank you, thank you for bringing us together. Amen. Thank you for coming. I'm something that can get fun to do. Every once in a while, you start and go through the alphabet. Start with A and thank God for everything that you can think of that starts with an A. And, Angie. Easy okay. one. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it quickly. That other words, take a long time and just keep thinking. Maybe you can write it down. Then go to B. And you'll find out that if you really put some time into it, you can't get very far in the alphabet because there's so much. You know, I was going to say, pick you something to do to make it fun. Like, mine is the jar. I like Kathy's ideal. And I meant to tell you, just pick something. There's so much stuff you can do and say, ideals to help you to remember to be faithful. And so Mom's giving you a... That's a fun one, too. Yeah. And if anybody else has one to share, these are fun traditions.